Welcome to the Razor's Edge. We've got a special edition today. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, joined by Akram's Razor, Seeking Alpha author and author of The Razor's Edge, a marketplace service on Seeking Alpha. We're talking about specific ideas. We talk about macro move sector changes. We're in very interesting times, so sometimes the market as a whole takes precedence. If you want to talk directly with Akram via chat and get some of his ideas, I encourage you to check out the Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha, which you can do by going to Seeking Alpha and typing in A-K-R-A-M on the search bar or going to Seeking Alpha slash Marketplace and searching for the same. You'll find the Razor's Edge. We're talking about the bear market. We're in the throes of the wildest time I've seen in my relatively short investing career. I started 2011. And as we record this on Monday, March 16th, even in the time between when I wrote this down and when we started to talk, we've gone from down 10% to down 9% more or less, but still a pretty big move. And that was after 20% drop from top of the all-time high. So the market is taking it on the chin pretty seriously. The NASDAQ has sort of been the exception, and we're here to count the NASDAQ and figure out what's going on, and also the opportunities that are starting to open up or the disparities between sectors, within sectors, etc. We started, if you recall, this is actually our third macro-oriented podcast of the year on the razor's edge. We started the year talking about how hard it is to peg valuations in this growth market with valuations kind of changing rapidly for no clear reason. Then we had our original coronavirus correction, where we're still trying to size what's going on. A little over two weeks after that, it's been clear that the magnitude of the impact on the economy is going to be bigger. So this obviously has changed the story with these tech stocks, but what does that mean? What's opening up? We're going to get into it today. Before we begin, our usual disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a podcast on Seeking Alpha's The Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, and we'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast. So Akram, wild times, no? I mean, this is something something special. I'd say that's an understatement, yeah. Uh, it's crazy. There's definitely, uh, definitely a seismic shift in the way you look at investing these days. There's, you know, we talked, we talked a few weeks ago about the, there were four things going on, right? There was the Fed liquidity, which the Fed is, you know, now shot most of the bullets in its chamber. It's not clear what else they can do, but there was that factor. There was the political factor, which, more or less has seemed to resolve itself from the presidential election standpoint because Bernie is not a real Bernie Sanders is not a real threat to win the Democratic nomination. He was the more significant change candidate in the running at that time. But we had we had also the fact that you just don't know what the coronavirus is going to do. And now that seems to have gotten bigger. I mean, do you before we get into the tech sector, how much are you 
how are you trying to kind of not get through this? We're just investing here, but how are you trying to size this, think through all of this where you're sitting right now? Well, I mean, I think the, the first answer is it's challenging, obviously, right? Because you do have a lot of disparities that have started to open up in the markets that force you to rethink what you were thinking beforehand, which is, I mean, we, we, we did discuss this last time, right? What part of this and so many of these stocks that people had been concentrated in is going to turn into potentially, you know, the first the first economic hit you take that becomes an excuse to deflate a bubble and whether or not you're facing that risk, because that's where you get into this kind of dicey type of situation of, oh, I, li- I, li- I like the stock that was at 20 times sales. I like their business. If it comes down to 15 times sales, is that a buying opportunity? Or, you know, are we going back to an environment where, you know, go back to 2014 and, and a work day, for example, when it's still growing its top line, you know, 80% or whatever, and it can come down to 13, 12, 11 times forward. And that becomes like your ceiling. And then you have a lot of stocks that can trade down to two, three times sales in, in software, which as of, you know, four weeks ago seemed ridiculous, right? I mean, you know, we did the whole pager duty thing. This thing is trading at, you know, 2.78 times forward EV to sales. And I, 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 it needs to go up 50% for me to break even. <laughs> it's, that's, uh, that's essentially what you're dealing with with so many names. One of the ideas that came out, I think I saw Gavin Baker, who is a tech investor on Twitter, and it, he may or may not have been referring to this feels like a Bill Gurley thing too. One of the things that comes up with tech is so fond of using EV sales, but then in a bear market, you have to kind of throw out EV sales and go back to earnings or cash flow as the valuation. Do you buy that? Do you think that matters here or is it still- I mean, it's obviously matter? significantly more important. I've been short in Vitae. It's a cash incinerator uh, and it was- off to the races for it three weeks ago, and you know now it's ten dollars. I mean, the stock's gone from twenty-seven to traded below ten dollars this morning, right? So that's in like three weeks. So that tells you a little bit about companies where balance sheet is a concern. If you're shutting everything down, obviously that's not a place you want to be, without question. But a lot of those companies that are kind of exposed to that forget like a stock like Invite, which was speculative anyway in nature and what they're doing. But like airlines, cruise lines, retail, people have been doing buybacks and because their business is more predictable. And like the one thing they're not worrying about is shutting down operations for a week, let alone a month or two or who knows how long it's going to be. So... Yeah, I think that's that's important. I think it's it, it's less relevant in tech. I mean, I like if you've been looking at tech, you shouldn't be in a cash incinerator. Unit economics are obviously important. So whether you were buying a Zoom, which continues to hold up remarkably, I mean, it's this has gone from like it looks like a work from home stock play to like it has a cure for the virus type of multiple, but 
you're you're dealing with a dynamic where if you understand the nature of of the financial model of a business, uh, it shouldn't be like I, I don't see it as a as a major turning. Like for example, pager duty is it's not a, it's not really a cash burner, right? It's eighty five percent gross margins. Yeah, they're 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 slightly free cash flow negative. Like they've taken on no debt yet. You know, you're, you're looking at a company with right now like a nine hundred and eighty million dollar market cap with three hundred and seventy million in cash. That, based on my research, stands to be a huge beneficiary on what's going on. But it's not a popular stock. It's not owned by the same type of ETFs and dynamics, and it hasn't had the algorithmic momentum traders because it's been going in the other direction since the bubble popped. So it's a stock where you look at it in this environment, and, and liquidity is really a driver, and it's like sell all this or buy all that. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a notable stock picking type of investing right now, right? So if you happen to be something that's not in that narrative, I mean, you know, on an up day, you know, an NVIDIA is going to bounce back significantly and, and an Intel uh, because these things are bouncing around 10%, right? And that's where, you know, most of the trading is the same thing with financials and, and whatnot. So I, I don't necessarily know if you get rewarded for, let's say, looking at software and being like, well... You know, this, I'm going to buy the free cash flow positive ones. They've had multiple premiums. That's the whole point. So it's it's a question of how much discounting occurs on the ones that have had good multiple premiums because they have better unit economics, like an Atlassian, you know, or like a ServiceNow or a Viva, right? In contrast to an Uber or a Lyft. Uh, Slack, who's still burning a decent amount of cash, relatively speaking, you know these types of dynamics where where you look at it in in, in that sense. So, if you were someone who before this was incrementally, you know, lower gross margins, lower you know non-gap operating margins, you had a discount. Is that discount blowing out significantly more? Mm, it's kind of really hard to tell. Because, I mean, you, you're not dealing with a with a situation where, I mean, I can't really look at any of these notable names in software and be like, they need to raise cash. Well, let's zoom out. I want to zoom out to the, the large cap tech first and then come back to sort of these software names specifically, because I think it's it's a similar story. I was having this argument with a colleague of mine who is has been along QQQ for, you know, as his biggest position since... Oh, nine or something like a very long time. And I, I was just saying, like, I'm looking at, I mean, I have, it's way below the price, but I was looking at buying some PSQ today, which is the one time inverse short, just to get add a little bit more short exposure to the market. And my logic is that is not particularly bearish about the NASDAQ, but I suspect we have lower to go in general. And the NASDAQ is, somehow outperforming and his argument is yeah but look there's no financials there's no energy and if you're talking about balance sheets like google apple amazon i guess doesn't really fall into that but microsoft etc like these are companies amazon's actually probably still selling pretty well for the most part so like these are companies that i mean come on they're going to be fine which i don't disagree with but it still feels they're just it doesn't seem to like the nasdaq 
can consistently outperform by a meaningful amount. I don't know. Do well, you, what do you make of that? That's like, you know, I mean, that's essentially what we were discussing last time. And the whole point of that is, yes, it doesn't have financials and energy and, and airlines in that level, right? But Microsoft was 12 times, 11 times sales, you know, three, four, three weeks ago. Right. For example, I mean, look at where we're at today after the rally on Friday. If you look at where we closed on Friday, you're buying Microsoft at like December 15th levels, Apple, you know, December 15th. I, mean, I shorted Adobe, you know, after reported last earnings after hours at what was it? Uh, 315. Okay. That was two earnings ago. That was in December. Right. And it went up like 320, 330, whatever, closed the position. Uh, and then, you know, January, February got as, I think as high as 380, right? Yeah, 380. Adobe, Adobe, Adobe was up like $50 on Friday and it closed at like, I think $339. Great. So that's like almost 10% over where I looked at it in December and I was like, this is getting frothy, right? <laughs> so, right. I mean, I mean, and that was an all-time high. Yes, of course. It's, it's it's not a business that, in theory, is notably impacted by by uh, by uh, the disruption in a level that a retailer is or an airline who's just shut down. But it, you are paying a huge multiple for it. And same thing for Microsoft, you know, or Apple, Google, Facebook is fifteen times forward earnings. You know, I mean, it's what's the enterprise value now? Like 380, 375. So you can do the math on that. I mean, it's, you know, it's like it's expected to do 85 billion in revenue this year. It's probably not going to come because advertising is going to get hit. But, mm -hmm. you know, on a trailing basis, you know, you're talking five, six times sales. You know, like I look at service now, for example, which every time the market perks back up, uh, it gets a nice bid. But, in every wave we've dropped, right, Salesforce seems to go lower, right? And ServiceNow is still, you look at it, you're like, this is like 20% off an all-time high. Now now Workday and and Salesforce have dropped 40%. And Workday and Salesforce were notably cheaper, multiple-wise versus ServiceNow. Now, of course, you love the ServiceNow business, right? But you're already paying that premium. And it just becomes like, what's the degree of the premium you're going to pay in these names, right? Because, you know, people talk about like this, like we do have what is essentially speaking a stock market crash that has occurred in two weeks. And I can buy Starbucks where I was buying it in 2015, right? I mean, I was so happy with my Starbucks trade in 2018. You know, I, you know, I bought calls at like 58, the stock went to 70 immediately after earnings and it just took off. I was happy with buying Goldman in 2018 at, at you know, 165, right? It opened at 150 today. Right. It's it's actually traded lower than it was before Trump was elected. So and then forget these casinos, airlines, uh, anything tied to, to that where you're just like, all right, I mean, these are distressed trades. And it's like, what happens with their balance sheet? You know, what kind of support does the government give them? Like, are they going to have to raise equity as it's what kind of dilution am I dealing with? And so on and so forth, suspending of dividends and, and all that other you know, actual financial uh, factoring. 
Yeah, that you have to do in a situation like this and that you don't have to do with, you know, a software company with a hundred billion dollars in cash, right? Or we're not a software company, but let's say a Fang stock, a Google, an Apple. Uh, even as you know, look at look, look at Cisco Systems. Cisco's traded down to, you know, levels not seen, you know, for four years. You got to go back to like early 2017. So you have this kind of, you know, there was they were boring and they had lower valuations than everybody else a few weeks ago, but then they they've dropped just as much as anyone else in the same time period. I mean, Cisco is knocking on 50. It came down to 34, right? That's 30%. Like, that's pretty much what everything has done. So when you consider that, do you want to own any stocks trading at 20 times sales? Well, it's it's sort of that. So I, we can use another example of this, too, that we've both owned. And Pinterest is something we've talked about quite a bit. And we even last time we talked about how compared to Twitter, it's relatively attractive. Pinterest is a stock that not really burning cash, as far as I remember. They're essentially break even. They're printing shares. They're you know a lot of share based compensation, but they're not burning cash, and they're you know for sure advertising is going to get hit, but they're also still you don't expect them to lose users. If anything, you would think that they would be gaining the same way that Twitter is gaining engagement. You would expect Pinterest to gain engagement. I mean, this is, we've talked about the use cases. It's a great time for. Yeah. Sit at home and come up with ideas of things to buy or recipes or whatever else. But at the same time, yeah, it's like, okay, but am I going to screen for, well, you've sure they've got a great balance sheet and it's going to get down to let's say three or four times EV sales but that's that sales is going to take a hit on the one hand, and we've still got a relatively long payback period. Whereas I could go to, you know, a, one of these larger firms that is like a Starbucks, where I kind of know their growth path, or I know Starbucks. The habit of going to Starbucks is not going to be broken by this, and they re- really are just going to take a you know, a couple quarters hit probably. And I, I don't know what their balance sheet looks like these days, but like they should be okay. So does a, does a stock like that get less attractive as well? Or is there still the story here of, well, but you know, the long term, I mean, their long term story shouldn't really change all that much. Pinterest, I mean. Yeah. Look, so that goes back to where we were at before this happened and where we were at before this happened. It- you know, Pinterest, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, uh, those multiples were, were, were compressing. I mean, I know because, I mean, I've, I've watched the way Pinterest was traded as someone long it, and I'm just like, I'm on the wrong side of something here, right? <clears throat> because there's nothing that is going on in the business that I was finding notably disturbing. So it's different when you own a company that, you know, it's like, you know, let you know, take uh, a Nudenix or a, or a new relic or software type names that have been really hit hard and are now trading at two three times sales because they missed on a billings, right? And there's there's been competitive questions and you know transition at Nudenix and in terms of the model or Datadog taking market share from from New Relic, uh, 
those things stand out and you're like, all right, I can see how it gets re-rated. And in this tape, it's like, it goes from, you can see how it gets re-rated to, oh, it's now trading at a level that I didn't think was was possible for a SaaS. It's like an on-premise multiple, right? Possible for a SaaS three years ago, right? Two years, even two and a half years ago. But you know, there was this whole new paradigm. Rates are low. We need to own you know, need to own these names. And like you were saying, uh, uh, regarding your conversation with your friend, in terms of, hey, I'm fine. This is not energy. It's not this. It's not that. These business models are insulated. It's like yes, and you've just been buying them at, at any price, and we've been justifying an ever increasing price. Look, I mean, that's that goes back to this whole dynamic going into this thing, which I mean. I mean, look, I, I, I've been hit hard by this too. And usually I would have been so much more short positioned than normal. And it's one of these dynamics where the cheerleader in chief, if you want to go back to the president, you know, just every single day talking about how great the stock market is, I think that permeated, right? There's no, there's no getting around that. I think that that changed a certain degree of way people were assessing risk. Look at Ray Dalio's fund and being in the news for being down 20% in this and not having essentially been hedged. Go back to David Tepper when he got on CNBC in, in, in January and yeah, was like, I, 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 yeah, stay on the horse that's running. And, you know, there'll be a time I'm going to slow him down and a time I'll get off. And, I, you know, you're joking then that you're not going to get that opportunity. You know, your horse may just have a heart attack. And that's exactly what just happened, right? I mean, yes, it's a huge exogenous event, but it also tells you where the market was exposed to this thing because of how everyone was positioned. Because when the president's getting on Twitter, you know, in early January and be like, how's your 401k doing? Up 60, 70, 80, 90%. What are you doing wrong, right? I mean, like that's... That's not something you should be doing. I mean, even look at look at Friday, right? Market finishes up and he's he's taken the rally in the midst of this drop, printed out a picture, signed it, and sent it to Lou Dobbs, who shows it on air, right? Now, when I think about something like that, and forget this whole coronavirus response and about like them not being presidential. I mean, like that's that's obviously something politically charged right now that everyone's focused on. But when you think about it from a market standpoint, and you think about, you know, Joe Kernan obviously has a really good relationship with Trump. Steve Mnuchin, you know, screenshots with him calling Jim Cramer. The CNBC people, like Trump watches it religiously. How many CEOs has been surrounded by? He sat with like all the bank CEOs a week and a half ago in, in a room and just had them all sound off. And then last Friday, he's got like, you know, these major retail and healthcare and whatever CEOs around him. And you would think that of all these people in, in the business world who are sophisticated and understand stock markets and that, you know, valuation is a huge factor that, that comes into stock markets. And this market wasn't cheap and it had, a, had been running on a lot of momentum and liquidity that they would come out and be like, listen, don't do this. It's counterproductive, right? Or publicly just criticize it. So, so the behavior changes. And you haven't seen any of that because I think it permeated so much into everyone's heads. Uh, and I mean, like, that's, that, that's the president, right? I mean, he comes from a, from a real estate promotional background, you know, 
he's the type of guy who he feels like if he says something a million times to you, no matter how untrue it is, it becomes true in your head, right? And he's been cheerleading the stock market, and it's essentially unhealthy. I mean, can you think of any president in history who ever wanted to marry himself to something that can be as volatile as the stock markets? And yeah, it's it's really you know, I mean, as the markets rallied under Clinton, Obama, et cetera, it's not like they would get out there and be like, "Today the Dow is up this much, and I'm doing a great job," right? I, mean, I think they, I think with Obama specifically, there was a little. I don't remember if he did this during his term or afterwards. There's a little bit of look. You guys all said I was going to be terrible for the stock market. Sorry, I was really terrible. It's tripled or whatever. You know, I think that was sort of the. But yeah, I mean, I think. I think that yeah, it's a, it's a curious. Look, at the at the end of the day, the president's net impact on the economy is so is so marginal, right? You, right. It's just it's, the economy is so big. It's so many moving parts. Like it's just it's he can get into these trade wars. He can do certain things at the margin that are good, that are going to impact things. But in the grand scheme of things, you're not going to be able. The market is a discounting mechanism always, and you're not going to change so much in a super short time period, other than. If you do something like he's been doing, which is really just encourage risk taking. And I think that's something where like, I mean, look at what's happened with the Fed, right? We've had every, both times the Fed has made moves now, the market has puked on them, right? And we had a similar type of dynamic initially in 2008. But if you consider when you, when by the time they launched QE, you had already bottomed probably three months earlier in higher quality assets. The financials were still having their issues, but I think Apple bottomed in January, if I remember, because I remember trading that in, in that environment and like going back to thinking back then, hey, I don't want to buy over leveraged, overexposed to real estate, whatever. But like who's been hit really hard, who their business model isn't really changing because of this. And you had that dynamic there because you had valuation support. So people who invest and look at a stock and be like, all right, you know, I'm buying this at you know a single digit multiple. I'm, I'm I'm paying X, Y, and Z. There's this much cash on hand. Like I have a huge margin of safety. Okay. Well, with what's over owned right now, you don't have a margin of safety. That's the problem. And I think that's I think that's the challenge of investing right now is that. Yeah, you can you can be like, I love this business. I like a service now. I love what Google's doing. I, I you know, Facebook's business is not going away, and you're like, all right, but I'm I'm not I'm not getting a distressed price for it. Not even a distressed price, like a price that you would have thought was you would have called expensive before, but you would have now today, in the last five six months, you know, the arguments have expanded into the because of where rates are, you know. 10 times sales should be 40 times sales. Okay. So if I look at something defensive, be like, hey, I've done really well in, in, in the NASDAQ and I'm just going to go back to buying these names. Like, okay, but the last time we had a panic and all these other assets traded at these levels, the ceiling for these types of stocks was, you know, an EV of 10. Now the ceiling is an EV of 40 times sales. And that's when you start looking at it, you're like, well, there's, it's actually possible for some names to trade down to EVs that I didn't think 
we we would see again in the near in the near term without like some sort of massive uh, change in the way all these names are valued. And like, was this the catalyst? It's it's a good question because I mean, look at for example a stock like Broadcom. Broadcom today is trading lower than it was uh, in 2018. So at the throes of the bottom in 2018, it didn't go this low. You essentially have to go back to like January of 17 for this price on Broadcom. And that's when you look at the semiconductor sector, which has had you know been on a tear the past year. And you're like, can I own these names here? It's a, it's a very hard argument to make in terms of relative value because I'm I, like you were saying earlier. Maybe I'm better better off looking at Starbucks and Disney down here and thinking three years out than going and paying these multiples yet. With Broadcom specifically, I'm pulling them up. They're still trading. Obviously, forward earnings are. A questionable estimate, but I, I want to use them for a second. They're trading, according to our numbers, about ten and a half times forward earnings and and at a five and a half percent dividend rate. So they're not. That's obviously semiconductors are cyclical, and obviously those earnings are going to change. But it's not immediately obvious that they would be in the bucket of a Nvidia, for example. Are you? Is your point that? Yeah, but they're actually going to get hit harder. Your point is that all these other names like NVIDIA are harder to justify. because. Well, my point is that Broadcom, you know, four weeks ago was $340 and it's 195 right now today. NVIDIA four weeks ago was, you know, 300 bucks and it's, you know, it closed yesterday at or Friday at 238. Right now it's like 215, right? So... We've been paying a higher multiple for NVIDIA, obviously for the data center, AI, and, and, and the growth reasons you're paying for NVIDIA. But Broadcom is a huge chip company that's exposed to a lot of, the, a lot of these very positive secular themes. And if you're going to get that type of multiple on it or the type of multiple you're not getting on a Qualcomm, should you sell your NVIDIA? Like I've exited my NVIDIA. Let's look, to be clear. I'm done. I, I'd sold half after earnings and I just got rid of the other half. It's just pointless where I'm just like, I like the company. Uh, if, if the market's going to go to like the way I look at NVIDIA is I have to be assuming if I'm holding it here that in eight weeks, everything will look like this didn't happen <laughs> again. That's what you got to be thinking. Because otherwise the multiple is still too high to justify. Yes. So if I'm, if I'm going to hold it here, it'll be, like, it'll, be, it'll be 300 again in a blink of an eye. Then there's stocks that I can be buying that are going to double. It's just, it's, it's nonsensical to be, from a risk reward standpoint to be sitting in, in, in things with this valuation. So, because when this, first, when this first started, companies like NVIDIA and and Apple were holding on better. You had this sell-off in the kind of the concentrated travel leisure exposure. Mm. And there was just like a couple names here and there where you were seeing pockets of underperformance, but it hadn't really made it into 
this kind of mainstream theme that had been last year. I mean, you don't have to go, but you can go back to the summer and video was $145. I wanted to, so I want to ask about that framework and then sort of come back to the Starbucks as our bogey for other sectors. The, the, the argument is, you know, we talk about V-shaped, U-shaped, L-shaped recovery and all this stuff, but essentially what you're implying there is that when you're looking, when we're trying to value these stocks now, we know that the sales multiples that we've been paying have been historically, have been much higher than we would historically pay for. And then you look at the, you, you have to sort of size, it's probably a fool's errand to, I mean, I've seen some people I like on Twitter, for example, who are really trying to break down what does the earnings hit look like it's going to be, but it's still a wide range. It's a waste of, of time. It's a waste of time, really. I mean, to, to sit there and be like, our S&P earnings are going to drop this much and I'm going to assign this multiple to it. It's, you're, you're looking at an exercise right now that is just kind of futile. But you're, way. you're still trying to gauge... I think we're all trying the way, you know, I think I talked about this last time, the way I'm, I spent some time this weekend looking at all the stocks in my portfolio. I didn't get through all of them. I got through most of them. And I'm basically looking at, do I think in extreme, I can't really say if I just wipe out revenue and gross profit, will they survive a year, but something close to that scenario, just to see like in extreme duress, will they be around in a year? by which point I assume some close to normal level. Uh, and that's, and you're saying with, you know, holding NVIDIA at this level, you're counting on something much quicker. Is that, do, do you think about it that way in terms of not in terms of breaking out the full numbers, but just how do we, when you're trying to figure out the multiples you're willing to pay, you're thinking about how close am I to a, to that margin of safety where, okay, even if things are really bad, this will still be a reasonable buy, or how are you sizing that? Yeah, I mean, you're not thinking from an Armageddon standpoint, but like in NVIDIA's business, when you're thinking about graphics cards for consumers and uh, data center spending for, for from a CapEx standpoint, it, look, if, if you are going to take the basic assumption that Google and Facebook are going to see a hit to advertising revenue, which is a no-brainer assumption here, right? then you do have to assume they're going to reduce CapEx. And that's going to show up in NVIDIA's data center business in a couple quarters. It's not hard to make that decision, particularly since they all just spent a lot of money at the start of the year. You know, you had a lot of delayed CapEx and post-China deal, you had an investment phase here, which which we saw everybody benefit from, Right. So you're changing that whole narrative in the chip space because everybody who's been spending, uh, and if you're you know an Apple and you you expect to sell less phones globally, same type of thing. You, it's not like they're going to change the way they operate business and and give their suppliers an easier time when they're expecting to see margins decline. That's this that's the whole recession dynamic, and you're definitely staring a very significant recession in your face now. Does AWS take a hit? I mean, well, I mean, the way you got to look at it, maybe it grows slower. Maybe, and you're definitely probably looking at a point where you temporarily slow down uh, transition plans as, you know, business continuity is, is more of a, 
more of a priority, but I mean, they're an infrastructure company, right? They're like a utility when you, when you think about that part of the business for anyone they're doing business with as far as providing public infrastructure. So that part of that business is, is, is a nice business to be in, but they're not going to be as aggressive as they were probably thinking they were going to be three weeks ago. And that's when you look at the semiconductor space and the hardware space and you're like, look, there's going to be some notable declines in revenue and spend that are coming that are going to start showing up. And I do not feel like sitting through that negativity in names that are trading at multiples that are pure growth, secular story multiples. That's where you got to get value conscious. I mean, like, you know, it goes back. It goes to being able to buy a page of duty at two point eight times sales, right? Their earnings are coming up, and we'll see what they talk about in terms of how this is impacting their business and the demand side of the business. And you got to be thinking that, you know, more remote workers, and we've seen some people start to highlight that, and and how work from home is working in business continuity. Continuity, and if you're turning every network operation center into a virtual exercise, then remote monitoring and having people on call and being fed alerts from the systems that they're monitoring that they're no longer able to sit in the office and monitor is important. And you can pay 2.8 times revenue for that. That's a different story. If you think they're going to grow you know, 30% top line this year, there's upside to that. And there's there's transactional upside, You know, maybe like it gets acquired and like you got to be thinking about that in, in names you're in where am I long something that at depressed valuations, the cash rich companies now look at and say, I'll buy this business here. Because if you're not going to, if you're not getting a takeout, you're looking at multiple re-expansion as your, as your thesis. And that can take a that can take a while. So I mean, I I look at some of these names that I own in software, and I'm just like, mm, okay, fine. Well, I'm gonna I, I may be waiting a year or two, maybe more. You don't know. And that's paying you know five times sales. So where are you going? Are you actually? I remember when we talked before we were doing this podcast, the 2018 sell off. You talked about names like. Goldman Sachs, Target, I think was the one you really liked then. I think you had Starbucks then, as you said. So are you, is that where you're going now is to physical economy, is to these sorts of classic blue chips, or are you still waiting to see how things shake out or what are you? Well, definitely taking a wait and see approach without question, but starting to spend time there. If you've been spending a lot of time in, in the growth area, right? Uh, it's hard to just kind of pivot overnight into what you want to look at when you're when you're looking at let's say a Disney or uh, or a Starbucks or or even a Target or a Walmart or these types of names here or, or the financials. I mean the financials you got like it, it, there's a whole element of do we do we adjust the whole narrative here? You know what's this what's the hit on on the spread in rates to earnings? They're all suspending buybacks. Uh, you got to start thinking. You know, how is this whole credit situation going to be managed as far as who, they, who they've lent money to? 
Yeah, their financials is still so thorny. I was, along with the PSQ position, I was looking at, again, I was, when I was pulling these together was before I saw the market was going to close down as much as it did, but short, um, using the SCF ETF to have a short financials position just seems, even though I'm long a couple financial stocks, but yeah, it's, it's not easy. There's, there's, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I, I mean, that's, that's the conversation we were having last time. And it's the question when you go into something like this without valuation support and, and that's why this sell off is so brutal because there, there really isn't a reason to step in here and be like, this is dirt cheap. And you, you would tend to expect, considering what's happening has not happened, let's just say, in theory ever, in terms of modern markets. I mean, you're short of talking about a war interruption. And even then, you still have things functioning in a certain way. So and uh, you, you have the, the, let's say, the peacetime part of the economy at least for the United States, since technically, you know, we really haven't had a war on our soil since 1812, I guess, or I don't know, Civil War. Civil War, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, a lot, of, a lot of soil covered there. Yeah. So, but beyond that, you got to be, you got to be thinking in terms of a foreign invasion, let's just say, but this is, this is unprecedented. And, the disruption that it's causing economically is something that has never happened before. And you're having that occur where you're not, you don't have stocks that you can look at and be like, you know, this is being given away. And they shouldn't necessarily get to the point where they're just being given away. But I think the problem is where, where the disparity in asset prices occurred is that We've had this concentration, this overweight into this, you know, technology growth narrative that has been the U.S. story. This whole nationalistic, we're better off than everybody else because this is these we we own these companies. They're or at least they're created in America. They're listed in America, right? They don't have them in Europe. They don't have nearly as much of them in in any other market. So we came into this sell-off with. A depressed global growth narrative anyway, right? I mean, that's been the story. I mean, there was a person on Twitter uh, who was really complaining about the fact that like, you've got a lot of China hate now, right? <laughs> because the virus started there. And it's like, the Chinese stock market is so manipulated. It's it's down as much, you know, uh, on the year as as we are, right? And it's like, well, the Shanghai Composite like hit these levels in 2007, right? I mean, like it's a market that's gone nowhere for 13 years. You, you can't say that about U.S. equities. And there's a reason for that, that their, their stock market, excuse me, doesn't represent their economy in the same way that our stock market has been tied to the, the economy, at least to a degree where you, you can even make the case that, you know, it, it's traded well, well above a premium to what's going on economically. But China, it's it's a retail dominated market. Like they still 30% of them are, have their have their savings in cash. 
right? Uh, much more exposed to real estate over the over the last few cycles. Like they haven't been about this cult of equity, and so much of their economy is essentially you know being a manufacturing warehouse for the rest of the world. So they're not sitting at that part of the top of the value chain where you know you're an Apple and you're earning the margins of the, of the brand that manufactures things in in Asia, and you pay a premium for until things go wrong, right? That's where I think you have a challenge because you didn't want to own energy. You didn't want to own agricultural commodities. These things have been going down. Like oil has been going down. No one's speculating in you know Middle Eastern markets or the way they were in 2007 and 2008, right? And you haven't had this brick culture. Like you have seen appreciation, I'd say India and Brazil markets, but also that's come with huge currency depreciation right so the real returns have been different so like the u.s market has had a strong dollar and it's had strong appreciation and that's where you look at it and you say like you came into this and there's just there was a widening and widening and widening gap between technology i mean and everything else and when you look at where we were three weeks ago i mean like the top 10 most valuable companies like what percentage of them were tech right and this is an exercise everybody goes through after a bubble right pops and you say oh well that was obvious because he's these were the biggest market caps here and you know state-owned oil companies were the biggest market caps here and financials were you know some of the top market caps you know going into the financial crisis right and now the top market caps are you know uh cloud platforms and software and it's no surprise that going into something like that where we are today you look at that and you say well i mean the the s&p is pulled back and the dow is pulled back and the nasdaq could still drop another 2000 points because the nasdaq the nasdaq isn't trading anywhere near depressed levels and and what's kept it up it's it's chip stocks software and you know fang i mean imagine being long netflix and like like if you look at last week i mean that thing was still trading well above levels that it had been at just recently as a couple months ago i mean it's so spending all the money they spend with negative free cash flow and you know all the typical concerns that you have and now you actually, I mean, you know, on the demand side, find not as much of a disruption and you look at it as a beneficiary, but on the production side of content, like, you know, they're suspending making movies, God knows what goes on with that and the costs and so on and so forth. That's where I want to throw some figures and then ask sort of a last question here, which is since February 19th, which is, I think, when we peaked, NASDAQ is down, as we speak, 24.7%. S&P is down 26.7%, and Dow is down 285 I'm just using the ETFs now instead of the actual indices, so it might be slightly off. But year-to-date, NASDAQ is down 16%, whereas the others are down 23 and 26%. So do you think that this is going to, I'm not, you know, we're not going to play this back if you, if things change, but do you think that this is going to 
close this sort of gap between in performance, or do you think that it's going to at least be on the level going forward the way today they're more or less even, or what? what's your sense? Like, do we get any rationality here, or do you think that it's, um, do you think that this is the new, even in, you know, the flight to safety is actually still a flight to tech is still. To- I think you're seeing enough evidence that there's like some progressive contractions going on in terms of the names that you would think were holding up better. And then they start to, to drop and then, and maybe they roll off one one after the other. Uh, I do think from a from a, a broader market standpoint that the tech narrative is not something that's been shaken. So you, you got to wonder if you're if you're an asset allocator, are, are you looking at this market and be like, I'm going to I'm going to come back and buy this, or I'm going to come back and buy, or I'm going to shift away and start buying cyclicals that are you know, at five-year lows. And that's, that's where you get into that conversation that, we, that we've been having and, and that you, you know, had with your friend on the QQQ. And you're, you're of the view that, well, tech is defensive here. They're going to see less business disruption, at least in software services, let's say. We can obviously make the case, you know, in the chip space that, they're going to be more disrupted without question than a software company. But if you're looking at the software companies, it's the, their, their multiples are at a point where it seems that some of them have come down so much that you would, you would argue that the, the whole sphere is shifting. I mean, we can look at it and say this: you ha- you had a sell-off in the market in 2018. You cut rates. The f- the Fed capitulated to the president, putting pressure, and you get this big rally. And this rally opens up an IPO window, and all along comes all this supply to the market of of new technology stocks, right? And we start talking about a bubble, and that thing bursts in the summer, and those stocks go down while the rest of the market. There's, let's say, call it a flight to quality. The rest of the market does much better, and then you get to this point in like September where you know, like, let's say, post WeWork and and Uber crises and whatnot, and you see a flood of liquidity, and maybe that's tied to energy, maybe that's tied to commercial real estate, right? And that just floods right back into the same names to the point where several start making new highs at the start of this year. But not everyone makes new highs. That's the whole point, right? So that's when you look at the when when you look at the same conversation we had a while ago, which was is this a trap? Like when I was comparing this to 2001, where you got a rally after after Bush had won and you piled back in and then it was like, oh you know what, this is actually a bubble that popped and you don't you don't realize it till, you know, five months later. Right, you're not reflating everything, and I think that's the hardest part of investing today. When this tape is trying to figure out what to own, because like if you had talked to me, you know, a month and a half ago, I've been like, I would obviously buy Twilio at sixty-eight, where it hit today, over Atlassian at one twenty-five. I would rather I'd, I'd want Atlassian at 
sub a hundred if I'm going to pay what sixty dollars for Twilio, because then you're talking you're talking five six times sales forward versus one that's still trading at twenty times trailing, and that's where you have that's where you're kind of in no man's land on this market is if you're a person who's long Atlassian, should you be selling your Atlassian and buying Twilio, for example, or shifting your weightings. If you've been, you know, long uh, uh, an Apple, you know, are you decreasing that exposure and buying some some Facebook here, just within that sector? And then when you step outside of that sector, then you're like, wait, or maybe I should just decrease all my exposure to these stocks and buy some Disney and a basket of you know, travel and leisure related names. I mean, one name that like I just recently got, I mean, clearly shellacked on. And if you think back two weeks ago, you're like, well, you know, I should have sold this thing immediately after its earnings is Square, right? Like Square is a name where you look at it now, you're like, is this a subprime stock, <laughs> right? Because your, your business is essentially small businesses. You're lending to them with Square Capital. I mean, most of it is, being financed off balance sheet with you're essentially originating and selling, but like that's been a nice fee business. And your main demand is like restaurants and, you know, food trucks and food markets. And you show up at these places and farm, uh, farmers markets and flea markets where like everyone's got a square reader. And you're just like, that's just a no brainer to get the hell out of that thing. If you connected the dots in, in terms of travel and leisure <laughs> and exposure. And I mean, like you also Shopify, you got Shopify capital and it's like, fine, okay, it's e-commerce. It's, it's, it's less exposed in the sense of that the way Square is there, but it had double the multiple and it's a lot of small businesses. How many of these small businesses right now, if people just are not shopping as much because you've, you've spiked uncertainty into where my paycheck comes when I go back to work. If I'm working for the airlines, if I'm working for a hotel, if I'm working for a restaurant, selling stuff online, not necessarily a place to be. If I'm, if I'm counting on uh, the demand that you were counting on from before in terms of just natural economic activity to the consumer. And that's that's where you run into this stuff with with uh, yeah with tech where it's like all right yeah I mean they, you know their balance sheet is fine but I'm not going to pay 28 times sales for Shopify. Well, I I sort of hear in all that that there's maybe the summer is at some point we're going to to be putting new money into the market or even repositioning to a degree. You have to sort of be, you know, looking for when this turns around, which again, hard to size, but seems likely it will turn around. But the challenge is it might be safe. It might feel safe to invest in a fang, let's say with a huge balance sheet or whatever else, or even, you know, I just look Shopify still has plenty of cash. Like they're going to be fine probably as as far as solvency but then when you get to the other side it's like okay but there's going to be a real hit and you're still paying huge multiples that's not going to be as attractive as name your low multiple travel company that has really struggled but 
manages to slog through and then everybody's traveling again, more or less, you know, let's say close yeah. to normal. Exactly. I think you got to be thinking, I want to buy something distressed or if I want to buy something now and I like the story, I have to be getting a huge multiple discount in in terms of growth. Because if if you were to, if you were to just to take let's say the 65, you know, most notable names in software, cloud, internet and just plot them all in a portfolio and 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 ramp them top to bottom from EV to sales and even look at EV to EBITDA, forget PE because so many of them aren't making money and look at the the range and you're seeing more names in that tier on the bottom that didn't exist before. I used to be like, okay, Cloudera sucks and they have their issues and like that's why that thing trades at such a low multiple or a Dropbox can trade at this low multiple for these reasons. Uh, but then you just start adding names, you know? Like it's, it, it's, it starts growing. You, you add a Snapchat, you add a Pinterest, you add a New Relic, you add a Spotify, and even that's really not there yet. But you add an Eventbrite, which we, we get their problems. You add an Upwork and a Sonos and a Pivot and a Nudenix and a Zora. And the list starts growing where it's no longer, hey, I get why this shouldn't trade at 25 times sales. And I think this should trade to 10 times sales. And that's when you're shorting it at, uh, in, in, let's call it six months ago, right? But now you look at it, you're like, well, there's like, the, what about the ones that are trading still at the top? I mean, I get everything is going right for Zoom, but how is it still trading at 47 times sales? Or I get Everbridge has demand from critical events management, but like, Everbridge's entire notification, mass notification platform is built on top of Twilio. Every time a notification goes out, it's, you know, Twilio is powering that. I know one wants to own Twilio. And same thing with PagerDuty. I mean, PagerDuty right now at $600 million enterprise value versus $3 billion for Everbridge. And there's a difference of $20 million in revenue between them. And one has 85% gross margins and the other has 65 and the other one's been, you know, just as much of a, let's call it slight operating cash flow burner and has, has never made a profit. So, yeah, okay, maybe you you, you, you want to argue that oh, there's some competition in, in the space with PagerDuty. Fine, we, we went through that. But if you like the secular demand story in, in remote work and digital transformation and IT and monitoring, well, you can buy that company for one-sixth or one-fifth the EV of a company that has 20 million more in revenue. Is that 20 million more in revenue worth $2.5 billion? So like, that's when you get into this and you're like, these are there's some huge gaps opening up here. So I don't want to be that guy who's like, I'm going to go buy Okta team and service now. Because they're, they're not going to see nearly the impact of any business that's hit, like a, let's say, like a square. Their business is going to be fine, if not even benefit somewhat from this, and co- they come out stronger on the other end. Okay. But I'm paying a huge premium for that. And that's, and that's just within the sector, 
Like that's, I mean, we've been talking about how you compare it when you step outside of the sector and you look at financials and energy and, and you have to be thinking, I mean, when this, when global activity picks back up, like you should see an uptake in demand and travel and that should be good for commodity companies. So wouldn't that be the first place you want to be? And manufacturing, right? Like that rebounds. And that's where you catch your first benefit. By the time you get to the point where you're talking about multiple expansion and owning growth, you know, you're you're way down the curve in that. That that basically means like you know, the the full economy has to be going again. Strong. And you're not you're not you're not getting that deal here in the, in these stocks. I mean, like you're they may just be I would say if it hasn't been hit hard, you got to be thinking it's an underperformer going forward. Mm-hmm. Because because you're it, it, maybe maybe they're not shorts, right? But it's going to take that they're they're going to go through this period where they have to grow back into their multiple, right? Because these multiple ranges. These businesses, like I was, like the point what I'm making when I highlight a Twilio and an Everbridge, or like if we do it with Zoom and Slack and, and whatever, I mean, obviously, Zoom from an educational standpoint is, is going to benefit here, but you saw what they had in their numbers so far. It's now trading at a full turn above the next closest high multiple name in software. So it's, it's not necessarily a question of what it, w- w- whether or not it's, it benefits. It's like, well, how much are you paying for it? And what happens? Let's say markets normalize, and I go in and I want to buy Salesforce at 125, and it gets back to 150. There's a very good chance Salesforce is back at 150, and Zoom is, you know, at 90 dollars because it's drawn in this crowded bid in an environment like this. Right. So there is a risk that if you if you thought like you could hide out in certain names. And you just kind of overly discounted what happens when business activity slows down and how that weighs on multiples. Because I'd rather pay 2.8 times revenue for PagerDuty and wait for someone to acquire it at this point. Because if that's not rebounding, then I'm going to lose money in Shopify and Zoom as a long here. For the next year, I just don't see how you don't. Okay, I, I, I like that. I like that sort of way to frame it, and it's just interesting because for such a long time, you think of tech, you know, for growth and for all these reasons, but here it's it is sort of defense, which is fine for this period. But then, what are you pay like? It all depends on your time frame, but what are you paying for if you're not going to get Yeah, I mean, this historically happens, right? A defensive trade gets crowded. And the argument here is that you kind of went into this crisis with the, the, whole, growth, the whole growth narrative being crowded because value was doing horrible and nobody wanted to own global growth thematic stories because global growth has underperformed. I mean, the, the story has been that you know, we have the best economy. Again, it goes back to the president and this whole nonsense of him signing that thing last last Friday, and that no one no one criticizing it. 
and being like you're just kind you're you're kind of repeatedly stating something where that this the US economy is an island and when you when you look at all these stocks that you're investing in that everyone's excited about you know these are multinational corporations i mean what percentage of apple's revenue is coming from overseas so it's, it's like investing isn't patriotism right and that goes back to people being being flummoxed with china and you see like once you see stuff like that you realize that so much of what was happening in this market from the last 3 months was very bubbly and it sucked i mean it's, it's uh, I, you know i it's not like i didn't i didn't get caught in some of it as well because you get to a point where you're just like i'm giving away money shorting it's just there's just what, what's the point like how do you fight it when when these guys get on tv and they're saying what they're saying and they're talking about how you just you know apple can go to 400 when they didn't even think it was worth more than 200 you know 5 months ago right so when you start changing those valuation narratives and it starts playing out to the point where you just get frustrated with it and you're like what's i mean maybe I'm maybe this new paradigm makes sense and that's how bubbles happen cuz it's like at the very end of it you're just you're you get sucked in yeah you it it meant like the, old, the the criticism in terms of let's call it like financial leaders and and even even the white house is that you shouldn't be messing with people's uh risk aversion and risk management they, you don't want them to come out and be like you know what like you like i i i was conservative i was doing this and every single day you're telling you're making me feel like an idiot for not piling in I mean, if you're essentially encouraging that behavior, <laughs> like, are you surprised when you get to this today? And then, like, that's when you go back to it. I'm like, when I think about Lou Dobbs, who, you know, is, is a champion of Trump and like we're in an election year and he's doing everything he can to push the fact that the president is the best thing ever and he wants him reelected and he's married himself to it. And this is a person, you know, who had money line CNN and, and, and whatnot back in the, back in the day and supposedly aware of how markets function he's seen several crashes and and these things and once you start seeing the market moving you know 10% a direction a day what are you doing taking like if the president sends you that great and i'm sure like whatever they discussed it and they want and he was like yeah i'll, I'll put this on tv but he should be thinking you know what mr president that's not a good idea cuz what happens if we drop 10% on monday what happens if you know, news breaks that this ICU is flooded with people with acute, you know, respiratory syndrome. And they're all on ventilators and we've run out of ventilators and we're down 20%. It's going to make you look really bad. And I'm going to step in here and tell you, I don't want to make you look really bad because I think you're doing a great job and I'm behind you on this. And this is just my professional advice as someone who's been commenting on markets for 30 years. That's not what's happening. You get the exact opposite. I think that like that is reflective of where we were at coming into this because that's where you get the the you know ride the horse and cash is trash. I mean Ray Dalio's principles and and everything he's issued for so long and essentially it appears he abandoned them into this because risk on and it was free money. And that's why this that's why this volatility is what it is because you crush volatility. 
But I don't think there's any way this market is trading the way it's trading if this market hadn't gone through the move it did in the last three months. Because if it wasn't for, if it wasn't frothy, it, the or, the decline would be more orderly, without question, because you would not have people who have just been piling in since the end of December and the China trade deal. Like the timing of this thing couldn't have been worse, right? Because you didn't go into it where you were facing a dynamic that you were worried about anything. Like it was full steam ahead. That's when. So, like an exogenous, like a black swan, obviously, like this is so crushing because you went into it with, a, and it goes back to the Fed. Like, the, like the effectiveness of what they're doing it goes back to smoothing out volatility over time. Is this an exercise in supporting the market? If you let the market fall on its own, as, as we've discussed in the past, and I mean, this was a big focus in my uh, Once Upon a Time in Tech piece that real value is created out of recessions. I mean, that's when you get real opportunities to buy companies, where companies emerge that transform businesses, and when when busts occur, and and I mean, like if you think about business models that came out and and are so notable, like ride sharing and and streaming and cord cutting, and uh, cloud hosting and 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 microservice architecture and on these things, these are all things that that have been catalyzed by recessions in the past and busts. And if you don't allow those to happen, then what are we what are we always doing? Just just trying to get back to that high multiple you were at before. Well it's it's I you had recommended to me, I forget if it was on the podcast or offline the podcast acquired and I was listening to the Pinterest one and that's a company that came out of the recession. It's just yeah, it's a good time for people who are lucky enough to have the opportunity, but it kind of oper- offers some resourceful, resourceful. Uh, yeah, like work from home right now. The argument, like if you were to think about this right now, you know, commercial real estate probably not a place you want to be. Even, even considering the immediate hit, but longer term, it's going to be like you know what, distributed work, and the distributed work companies like Slack and 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 Zoom, and and a page of duty, for example, like they should be winners in this. There, it, it, this is something where businesses are going to prioritize doing business with them, and their business models benefit. And in some cases, they're going to grow into their valuations. And in some cases, maybe they're acquired, and, and who knows what. But that's what happens when you have a disruption and, and a recession, and, and and something along the lines of. An economic transformation that forces people to move, and when you keep resisting that, you don't allow these things to happen. And I think that's where, like, we ran into this. You just can't manage. You can't. You can't manage the cycle for forever. The Fed, essentially speaking, should have been sitting on the sidelines last year. There's. It's very hard not to argue that. And now we're also coming into this point where you got to think about demographics in the long term. Where we're at, like this hit here, if this is something that takes years to recover, like you, you, you want a turning point where the millennial generation can come into the market and have a chance to accumulate wealth. But now you're looking at a point where you know the baby boomer generation that is retiring has got to be looking at it and, and 
Like, you know what? Maybe I just want to reduce my exposure. Well, and as we're recording this, we're going to the close. As we're t- I, uh, I don't know what just happened to the Russell five or two thousand, but my, I had a position in an inverse as a hedge, and I had like a crazy high limit order set for it, and we just blew right through that. Uh, yeah. In the last close, I mean, the close looks like it's going to be twelve percent down or eleven percent down. So yeah, there you go. You're below seven thousand on the Nasdaq. Uh, so, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a mess, and I don't know where they've been talking about closing the market. What's your opinion on that? I can't see how everything I'm reading, you know, just scanning Twitter as we're talking, it sounds like the current talk was a little bit less markets focused and more health focused from the the task force the virus task force or whatever they're calling it but uh i i can't see how closing the markets i mean it's just hiding right it's not that can't be really what is going to I can't. I mean, do you see? Look, if you're a purist, the argument is they would never close it on the way up, but they close it on the way down, right? Right. But at the same time, when you consider what's going on, and just like the fact that you're essentially suspending all economic activity versus, let's say, the financial crisis and overleveraged and disruptions in the banking system and a panic and whatnot, I mean, if you're really just suspending all economic activity, there is a case to be made that you know why don't take a break from trading because it's definitely from a feedback loop perspective not helping anything right yeah i mean no there's right. look for the for the individual investor i think generally the idea of you know stay don't go crazy here is smart but i think in general so yeah may, maybe that's the right way to think about it but i do think uh, I don't know. It seems like otherwise it's just putting up. Because if you're at, I mean, look, if you're at that point where there's no travel, everyone's going to work from home. Okay. For whatever time period we're dealing with right now, then, you know, a two week holiday at this juncture isn't, it's not going to change much. So right? the market reopens and, and you're worried about this, you know, a further one day decline and whatnot. But you're at a point here where watching it on a daily basis and how it reacts to news flow is just kind of distracting, right? So, and particularly with this administration, he's so like, if the president is so preoccupied with it, the, the argument and, the, and that no one's going to speak up and, and, and tell him to just drop it. The argument, which he hasn't been doing, is the argument is, you know what, take this off the table because for him, it's distracting. Right? Right. So, and let them focus simply on the health crisis. That is quite the argument. Turn off the market so that the president doesn't worry about it. Uh, There's something there. I think you get him to get, I mean, it, it, it seems ridiculous, but it's just for, in his case, it's, you know, get him to focus on being on top of everything else so that. You know, when things when you do decide to resume in two weeks, you're you know you're resuming the market with like some resumption in in activity, or with a better handle of of this health of this health crisis. Because and people are looking at the futures and where things are going to open the next day and what they want to trade and, and what to worry about earnings. And 
Like if we don't yet have a handle on whether or not you're going to have to be building, uh, you know, extra hospitals and beds and securing ventilators and, and these types of things. I, th- I think for any business at this juncture, particularly any public company, you know, it doesn't hurt to take this off and stop worrying about our stock price. And It's interesting. I mean, ultimately you've got people are going to have to come to market to raise funds or whatever and God help them if they are, but okay, let's, let's wrap it there. Um, any, I think we talked, mentioned Google and Disney, which I still own positions in. I'm trying to think. I don't think any disclosures other than that. Okay. I've really been doing nothing. Okay. Are you still long pager duty? Yeah. Okay. And Facebook, I assume? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Any short position? Did you, are you long? Shopify. Shopify. What about Invitae? Invitae, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, well, yeah. Technically, yes. Okay. We'll take it. All right. Good stuff, Akram. Uh, Stay safe out there, market-wise and otherwise. And uh, I imagine we'll have plenty more to talk about in the days and weeks to come. Yeah, it looks like that will be the case. Anyway, it was was good. Same to you. Take care. Yeah. Be well. Okay.